as we continue uh, in our week of worshipful work, we take a turn from the question of what is work. For those of you who were here yesterday, we talked about what is work. Uh, to the two questions of what ruined work, and then the more, in question, more important question to follow that is what redeems work. So uh, in order to talk about these two things, I want to remind you of our definition we came up with yesterday. Is work is making beauty, order, and function for the purpose of joyfully glorifying God. So what ruined work? Well, at the fall in Genesis 3, we can see all three aspects of work, beauty, order, and function, twisted upside down. And these three aspects of work are twisted upside down in order to twist the ultimate purpose. Namely, not joyfully glorifying God, but instead an attempt to glorify ourselves. First, at the fall, we hear Satan's voice tempting Adam and Eve to neglect God's order. Adam and Eve were supposed to have dominion over the creatures. But here we have a creature telling them what to do. We have a reversal of that order. Furthermore, he is tempting to uh, twist the garden's function because the tree of knowledge was not at that time meant to provide food for Adam and Eve. As a result, their choice to go against its function and to use it for food, eating it when they weren't supposed to, they produced the action of ugliness of sin instead of the beauty of disobedience. So in choosing to follow the serpent, they have created disorder, dysfunction, and ugliness in an attempt to glorify man. A complete reversal to God's glorifying work. So what was God's response? God says, Genesis 3, Curses the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Here's our work. What was once glorious and joyful is now cursed. So a new de definition for work. Mankind creating disorder, dysfunction, and ugliness in an attempt to glorify man. There are many, many examples of this in our everyday life that we can see and feel. But the best example of this type of man-centered work can be found many, many, many years ago in the faraway land of Shinar. It was here that a people who had been told by God to spread and fill the whole earth decided instead that they wanted to hold tight together. Instead of spreading God's glory, they decided they wanted to make a name for themselves. They decided the best way to do this was through building an enormous tower. They built it, and they named it Babel. This monstrosity of a building required the blood, sweat, and tears of a disobedient people, fueled by a lust for their own glory, using the very hands that God had made them, the very objects and materials that God breathed into existence. They constructed a godless mission to save themselves. Each breath, a gift from God. 
inhaled and exhaled for the sake of pushing stones of pride higher and higher into the sky. What was God's response to this? Did he say, good, good teamwork, way to construct that building? Or nice use of physics to lift those stones up higher and higher? It says in God's word that he bent down to look at their tower. He spoke confusion onto their lips, and he sent them away from the tower, an uncompleted project built on a loose foundation of human willpower, washed away by the waves of time. Was Babel a beautiful building? Maybe. Was it well constructed? Most likely if it got to be really tall. Was God glorified by it? Where is Babel today? Well, to tell you the truth, I don't know where Babel is, but I do know where to find its replicas. Babel is found wherever our work is done for the sake of glorifying ourselves instead of God. Remember, godly work is beauty, order, and function for the purpose of joyfully glorifying God. We can have the first half of this statement without the second. Our work can look good, without it necessarily being glorifying to God. Do you write A-plus papers? Do you sell more products than anyone else on your sales team? Did you receive the reward or award for best worker in the history of all time ever? Way to go. But if your efforts, your time, your energy, your focus, your creativity, your talents are not used for the sake of glorifying God, then they mean very little. God may just destroy your little tower of accomplishments in the same way he did Babel. Solomon says it this way in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. How much of our work could be described as anxious toil? So how have we tried to fix this? Our work is ruined, yeah? We understand that. So how have we tried to save it? How have we tried to make it better? Well, one way is, is uh, we've taken a few fig leaves and we've sewn them onto our job description. We've tried to Christianize our work by using our work as a means for some other end. Example, you should work for the sake of witnessing to a coworker. Good, but what if you work on your own and you don't have coworkers to witness to? Do you lack purpose? You should work for the sake of money, getting money for the sake of being able to provide for your family or give to the church. Good, but what if your work doesn't pay you all that much? What if you're barely able to keep food on the table? You lack purpose. You should work at a Christian company or for a nonprofit for the sake of supporting a good cause. What if you graduate from Northwestern and no nonprofits hire you? What if you can't find a job in a Christian company? What if the only company that's willing to hire you is a secular, non-Christian company? Do you still work there? Finally, 
you should strive to be the very best at your work for the sake of earning favor and thus associating favor with what you believe in Christianity. Well, what if you're not the best? You suddenly lack purpose. You see, all of these things, sharing your faith with a coworker, earning money for your family, working for a Christian or a nonprofit company, being the best at your job, those are all really, really good things. But they're horrible foundations for work. They're a shaky foundation to build your purpose for work. Additionally, and this is the part that here at Northwestern, we need to hear this most of all. We have the tendency of taking these good activities at work and twisting them into idols, tools for our own self-salvation projects. Look how great I am. I work at a nonprofit. God's really lucky he's got me because I'm feeding the, the poor and I'm, I'm clothing the homeless at my work. And worse, with this mentality, we begin to downgrade other non-Christian areas of work. Oh, you uh, work in business. Oh. Oh, you're a lawyer, so you make a lot of money. Okay. You, you work on computers. Don't we do that? Now, make no mistake. Again, I'm not at all condemning these things. Working for nonprofits, feeding the hungry, we need to be doing those things. But they cannot be our reason for work. And we need to be careful that we don't make them idolatrous. Glorifying God at work involves sharing the gospel, making money, using your gifts to help out others. But the ultimate purpose, the purpose we often miss, is that we would work joyfully glorify God. So ruined work. Ruined work is any work done for the sake of glorifying ourselves. Now it may look bad. Sometimes we have this caricature of uh, this, the egotistical CEO or uh, the deceptive lawyer or the corrupt politician. But sometimes ruined work actually looks really good. You may think of a, a church pastor or an inner, inner city teacher, or even a missionary. Regardless of the job description, you can still be doing ruined work if you're doing it for the sake of your own name. So, I don't want to do ruined work. Do you want to do ruined work? We're going to be working for a long time, most likely. Right? let's do good work. I want my work to be about something bigger than myself, not just trying to make myself bigger through work, right? So how does ruined work become redeemed work? That's really the question. How does Babel go from a tower of human glory to a temple of God's glory? The answer is simple. We cannot and will not do redeemed work until we are first given a redeemed heart. You cannot and will not do redeemed work until you have a redeemed heart. At the fall, our work was cursed. Yeah, we've talked about that. But even worse than that, our relationship God was our relationship with God was marred. The one we are meant to, to run toward, we are now hiding from. 
deep in the woods, hiding our shame like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve hid from their maker because they knew their shame. They knew their sin had stripped their place of honor and caused their exile from Eden. And that's exactly how we feel sometimes, isn't it? Fearful and shameful. What do people think about me? Am I, am I a success? We know our nakedness. We know our dishonor. We know our disgrace. That's why we work so incessantly to claw and scratch our way ever higher up in Babel. We need validation. We hunger for validation. We know our shame and we are dying for someone to look at us or tweet at us or write on social media that you are good at what you do. Therefore, your shame is removed and your glory is restored. But that doesn't ever happen, does it? Whether in the eyes of the world with a huge paycheck and and a massive house, or in the eyes of the church with a monthly tithe and your frequent mission trips, if our work is for the sake of trying to earn glory, then we are merely building another Babel. Guess what? You can build Babel, and you can build it as high as you want, but it will not stretch back into Eden. You can earn as much favor before mankind as possible, but no amount of earthly praise will earn praise from God. He doesn't care how many likes you have how many friend requests you get on Facebook. There is one way back to Eden. There is one way out of our dishonor. There is one way back to God. And it's not a paycheck. It's not a job description. It's not a title. It's not a location where you work. It is through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ the Son of God Paul in Galatians 4 says it like this but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons And because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Are you a son? Are you redeemed? Are you free from the curse of the law? You can ask those questions in a simpler way. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you grown tired of your efforts and come clean with God, confessing your sin, your inability to clean up yourself with your work, your failures, your errors, your mistakes, your defeats? Have you said to the Lord, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling? Tried to hack it with my own word, tried to accomplish some things, tried to get enough praise from man, but it's just not good enough. Even successful people 
they still find that it's not satisfactory. They're still hiding in the woods. They're, the fig leaves did not cover their shame. They tried to sew leaves together, gather more and more, but it didn't cover their shame. Are you trying to be the Pharisee at the temple who's raving about your work and what you've accomplished? Or are you the tax collector on his knees with his face to the ground saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. If you haven't confessed your sin to Christ, may you do so today and experience freedom in that. Freedom from incessant work. Freedom from feeling pressure to work so to earn yourself right standing before others. Lay down your arms at the foot of the cross and receive his grace to see and do. If you haven't already, or if you have already done so, then feel his peace. Realize that God has freed you from the law. You don't need to earn your way back to Eden. Jesus says that he goes and prepares a place for you this very day. You don't need to sew on fig leaves. You have the righteousness of Christ to clothe yourself with. Clothe, your, clothe yourself with. You can work with a worshipful heart because your glory no longer depends on what you produce. You can create freely like Adam and Eve were meant to at the beginning. Not as a tryout to earn favor, but in freedom as sons and daughters. You're free to work for joy. You're free to glorify him. You are free in Christ. And here is your invitation to work for the joy of glorifying God. You don't need to work for acceptance any longer. You are accepted in him. You don't need to work for praise. God is ready to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'd like to exhort you to, to make this process of gospel remembrance Daily, daily part of what you do, whether as a student or as a worker, maybe some of you are doing both. Before you begin your work, after you've done your work, remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that your work is not for your own glory. That's a good thing. Remind yourself that your work is not for the sake of earning points. And that's a good thing. Because sometimes you're going to feel like maybe you didn't earn very many points. But your work is for the sake of joyfully glorifying God. And your Father is well pleased by an obedient heart. Here's a simple prayer. Not for my glory, but for your glory. Not for my glory, but for your glory. That should be the anthem of our work. Joyfully glorifying God. Here's a, here's a line I, just, I wrote. Um, maybe to help us remember this. Not for your love, for I already have it. Not for my glory, for I no longer need it. Not for forgiveness, for I'm already cleansed. But for your glory, forever without end. I want to close with my favorite part of the day I'm going to share with you. Uh, it usually begins around 6 or 6.15 in the morning. That's when my daughter wakes up. And uh, 
she has these toys, you know, these magnetic uh, toys that all stick together, and uh, you, you just create. She wakes up, she kind of waddles on over to the toys, I walk over too, I dump them all out on the ground, and note, I don't have to tell her to start playing. She just plays. I also don't have to tell her what to do. She just creates what she wants to create. I have no standard of beauty that I'm looking for when she creates. I have no order that I'm expecting from her. I'm not requiring her to pr produce functions with those toys. Now, eventually she might. She might order them. She might put them in a pattern, blue, green, yellow, blue, green, yellow. She might use them as a function. In fact, sometimes we use them as refrigerator magnets. Huh? Function. She always creates something beautiful, at least in her father's eyes. And I pray that as she would grow older, that she would do those same things to the glory of God. But one thing I hope she never loses, and the one thing I hope we can all recover, is the incredible freedom that she has in her work. She does not worry about what I think of what she makes because she knows that I love it because she is my daughter. She does not worry about trying to impress other people because the only person she wants to be with at that time is her daddy. Can we have that sort of freedom? Can we have our ruined work redeemed to the point that it really doesn't matter what we're doing, what we're making, what our job description, or even who knows about it. Could we have such joy in doing what we love to do and serving God in what we do that we just don't really care what other people think? Could you have that freedom when you're thinking about what major to choose, what work to go into, grad school or not grad school, full-time work, part-time work, if you are a redeemed son or daughter of the king, then the answer is yes. You do not need to work for fig leaves. You have Christ's righteousness over you. You do not need to work for fig leaves. You have Christ's righteousness over you. So my final exhortation to you is this. Remind yourself freedom that you have in Christ. If you don't have that freedom, <laughs> then come to Christ. There is nothing in this world that will waste your time more and frustrate you more than trying to earn favor with others. Because you have no Father God, this is our prayer. Not for your love, for we already have it. But or not for my glory, for we no longer need it. Not for forgiveness, for we are already cleansed. But for your glory, forever without end. Amen. Pray with me. Father,
Father, we thank you and we ask that this would be true of our hearts. I pray for gospel freedom to reach each and every individual in this room. We wouldn't need to impress others with our works, but we would be able to simply do it for your glory. That we would engage in good endeavors in our work, sharing the gospel, working for good foundations, making money for our families, but ultimately, beneath it all, we would be satisfied no matter what, staying on the firm foundation of glorifying you. So we pray this in your holy name today. Amen.